Sell me your car today. This is Clay Edwards, and I want to buy your car, truck, or SUV today. Are you tired of dealing with all the marketplace maniacs and the Craigslist crazies? I hear nightmare stories every day about counterfeit checks for vehicles here in central Mississippi. Did you know if you get ripped off with a counterfeit check, your insurance company will not cover you? Let me make you a fair market value offer for your vehicle today. Contact me today at claybuyscars.com. That's claybuyscars.com. All right, this is Chris Hinkle, your Radio G-Man, sitting in for Kim Wade, who was unavoidably detained. Uh, I want to thank Kingfish for being in here yesterday and taking the seat in this chair. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit uh, about things going on, uh, a little bit about my background. The first hour is going to be kind of focused on what's going on over in the Middle East. I may talk a little bit about the main shooting and my perspective of it from my background as an FBI agent and uh, some expertise that I get in my small text group with a group of fellow FBI retired agents. I'll talk about them a little bit and give them a shout out. Uh, We're also going to have a guest here at about 435, Lieutenant Colonel Darren Gobb of Restore Liberty and who is a frequent guest on Newsmax, is going to come in and give us a little bit of his insight on what's going on over in Israel. We're going to talk a little bit about Ukraine and talk about the military. I myself served in the military for about 13 years, spent the first eight of that uh, doing something crazy, working with explosives. Didn't choose that. The military chose it for me. If you've got family or friends that are thinking about joining the military, uh, have them get with the station up here and put them in touch with me. Definitely don't go in open mechanics or open career field because they will choose something to put you in regardless of what your background is. And that's what ended up happening to me. I was fortunate enough to cross train is what they call it after about eight years and became a, a special agent with the Air Force Office of Special Investigations, the old OSI. Any of uh, you guys that are Steve Canyon fans from the comic strips, he was an OSI agent. And if you uh, were, if you watched the old Six Million Dollar Man series with Oscar Goldman, that was the Office of Special Investigations as well. The call in line here on the Complete Exteriors call line, that's CompleteExteriorsMS.com, is 601 601- Eight seven nine zero 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 two. We're probably going to limit the calls in the first hour. Second hour, we're going to get into some Mississippi politics, holding our elected representatives accountable. I'm going to kind of look at what's in the news involving Jackson, Mississippi, and uh, I'm sure we've got a, a number of callers, routine callers that call in that have a lot of insight on that. Uh, Kim wanted me to remind you guys that it is about one hour and 50 minutes that the Jackson Gun and Knife Show will begin here in Jackson, Mississippi. So if you're not strapped down in Jacktown, you need to get out by sundown. And that is some of the best advice I can give you as a retired FBI agent on uh, not being in the uh, dark areas of Jackson, Mississippi. Uh, you you might want to make sure you're, you're well protected. And I'm actually, <laughs> excuse me, I'm actually going to talk in the second hour giving some tips, things that I tell my family uh, that's been ingrained in uh, in their ecosystem about how to protect themselves and uh, some, some things you can do to protect yourself, how to kind of get yourself in that mindset. 
I want to first start talking about, and this is going to lead into where we're talking with Darren Gobb uh, here at about 435, <clears throat> and that is what it's like to look into the face of pure evil. So a lot of people know that I'm a retired FBI agent. I spent a little over 20 years with the FBI. I uh, spent five of it, uh, five years prior to that as an OSI agent with the Air Force. So I've got about 25 years of federal law enforcement experience. OSI and FBI is remarkably similar. Uh, the academies are a similar. Uh, the OSI academy is a little shorter than the FBI academy. It's about three months, or at least when I went through uh, back in the early 90s. And the FBI Academy, it, when I went through, was about four months. <laughs> there was a, an opportunity that came up about halfway through my career. I'd been in about 10 years to uh, to help out with the FBI's mission uh, where we were partnered up with the military over in Baghdad, Iraq. So I went through a screening process with my background. Um, excuse me, just got a little bit of sinuses right here that are draining down and uh, trying to drink something to clear that out. But um, I, I took the opportunity to go over and take some of the training that I had. I, I had a significant amount of interviewing and interrogation training, uh, had some very successful cases, knew how to put a case together, and showed up over in Baghdad, Iraq in about April of 2009 i i hit my 10-year mark in the fbi in may of 2009 and one of the areas that they put me in was in this place called camp cropper uh, it's not a secret or anything like that it's in the newspaper that camp cropper was a prison at baghdad international airport and the responsibility one of the <laughs> responsibilities i had while i was over there was as an interrogator and the people that we brought in to the interrogation interrogation booth is what we call it. It's about an 8 by 10 room. So when you bring these people into the room, you have to notify the military, uh, usually about a day before uh, or, or longer, that you want to have them brought over. And uh, I'm not revealing any techniques or anything like that. They just, you know, it, it takes a long time for them to get them from the actual place that they're in the prison uh, to channel them into the area where we're going to bring them into the interview booth. Uh, once we get into the interview booth, it's typically two agents, uh, the main interviewer, the note taker, and an, an interpreter, depending on the language of the individual that you're going to interview, and the detainee. Most of the detainees over there that we were interviewing and gathering intel on were people that just kind of got scooped up as the war was going on and <clears throat> there were two parts of cropper prison there was the high value detainee area and then the basic prison and the prison was a mixture of iraqi guards and u.s soldiers watching over the prison with the primary responsibility of the u.s soldiers now you have to remember this was uh shortly after the abu Ghraib uh incidents that were going on over there so there were some heightened uh, sensitivity involving the um, involving the detainees. So there were limitations that were placed on us because of the things that happened at Abu Ghraib. 
And no, we weren't over there waterboarding or anything like that. What we were doing was a very stressful type interrogation. Uh, you try to m- manipulate emotions. You try to uh, manipulate what the uh, how you react to things, how they react to things. Uh, you pose information, uh, but we were limited in some things. You couldn't you couldn't get up and yell at them. You couldn't question their sexuality. There, there, it was just it was an odd time. It was about the time that the Obama administration had just come in. And I remember when I first showed up, one of the, after being uh, flying around and uh, taking about 37 hours to get there, <coughs> the, um, the guys that met us at, at the airport, first, first of all, I- Iraq is a very dusty place. You don't really see the clouds. Um, and you, you think it's going to look like, you know, Lawrence of Arabia or something with just sand dunes everywhere. And it, it's not really like that. It's uh, very desolate looking, uh, very dry. When you have sandstorms, it's more like talcum powder in the air. And we show up, the back of the plane opens up for us to get out on the tarmac on the C-130, and it's raining cats and dogs. And there's probably about three inches of water out on the tarmac. It was raining so hard. So that was kind of surprising. A little chilly when we got there. Uh, The rain had kind of cooled things down. And we were taken around, and one of the things that, before I started doing my interrogations, they showed us these buses. And this is where there was a dramatic change in the posture of the U.S. government as it relates to terrorists and battlefield combatants, uh, the ones that you bring in for the interviews. They said, you can interview people. However, you need to interview them. You can bring them in. You can read through the intel. You can read through the reports, bring people in, try to press them for more information. But here's something that we want you to know. Uh, The current administration has deemed that eventually we're going to shut this prison down and we're going to pull our resources out of here. So every month there's going to be 1,500, around 1,500 detainees that are going to get on buses and they're going to be taken out of here. Whether you finished interviewing them or not, 1500 every month they're going to be put on that bus and taken out of here so you kind of had a clock ticking in the back we had also just come out of some oversensitive legal restrictions that were attempted during that time as the new administration came in the department of justice was trying to introduce a way that we could provide some of advice of rights to terrorists and battlefield combatants uh, the last time I looked, the Miranda rights didn't apply to people outside of the U.S. Constitution, especially in an overseas environment. So that was a little odd. I, I don't think I would have agreed to do that. It, I'm not going to place that extra restraint on me. But I want to talk to you about a little bit about looking into the face of evil. So we had this guy that was brought in. I'm not going to say his name. <clears throat> his name. Uh, his brother was the leader of a terror cell up in, let's say, in northern Europe. And I had read up on his dossier, I'd read all the intel reports and stuff, and we were going to take our opportunity to take a crack at him to see if we could get any information about his brother's terror cell. He comes in. Uh, he's, he's willing to talk. He's willing to say anything you want to hear. Let me tell you something about pure evil 
of people that you look into the eyes of, of the people like these people of Hamas. They will say anything that you want you, they, you want them to say. They will agree to any of your demands. They will do anything that you want them to say. If I wanted them to jump up and down on one leg for five minutes, he would have done that. They only have one criteria in the negotiation practice between you and that person of pure evil. As long as at the end of the day, you die. That's their only requirement. I'll do anything you want to do. I'll tell you anything that you want to hear. It's probably not going to be the truth. But at the end of the day, you have to die. That's it. There is no negotiation to it. So it, it really, I, I can see the ignorance in a lot of these people, especially these ones on these campuses, these transgenders for Palestine, uh, the you know queers for Hamas, the things like that. I'm telling you right now, <laughs> they are not your friend. They'll tell you anything you want to hear. They'll tell you that they love your lifestyle. And then as soon as your your usefulness is uh, no longer an issue, they will slit your throat. So this individual that we've been talking to, we interviewed him several times. And they usually are in a little bit of a bad mood when they get into the interview booth because it takes so long to get them where they need to be for that interview. <laughs> well, we interview this guy, uh, finish up with him, and he leaves. And, and it, I had a problem with the military guys that, that escorted him over there. There was a young private, uh, another private with him. They escorted him to the interview booth. They take the uh, shackles and the handcuffs off, set him down in a chair. We sometimes have food in there. And we start the interview, and we finish up, and then he leaves. And then the one of the little privates called me aside and said, hey, uh, can I talk to you? Sure. And he showed me something. And that something made me a little nervous. And guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to wait and tell you about that after the break. So stick around to find out what actually made me afraid. This is Chris Hinkle for In for Kim Wade on WYAB. All right, it is Chris Hinkle, your Radio G-Man, in here for Kim Wade. Uh, we are here live at WYAB, and you can call in on the Complete Exteriors call-in line at 601-879-0002. That's CompleteExteriorsMS.com. If you're going to call Complete Exteriors, ask for Eddie at 601-326-2755. So when we last left, I had just come out of the interview booth after interviewing the brother of the leader of a terror cell. And I told you about looking into the eyes of these individuals and what they would agree to as long as you die. That is their only requirement. So we leave out of the, uh, out of the booth, and the little private asked me to step aside with him. And he said, can I show you something? And he pulled out a little baggie. It was a Ziploc baggie. And inside that baggie was this rusted little sharpened nail, probably about four or five inches long. And it had some wiring and stuff wrapped around it uh, that was real prickly. And I said, okay, what, what are we looking at here? He said, 
I took that off of the guy before, right before he came into the booth with you. I said, okay. At first, I was a little upset because I would have liked to have known that before we started the interview, number one, because that we probably would have led off with that during the interview. Uh, second, and I, I talked to my fellow agent and the interpreter, and I'll tell you this, you, you can determine whether or not it's joking or not. Uh, there's a camera that watches you in these interview booths. And, and I can tell you, there have been times when I've gotten animated in that interview booth trying to get some information out. And just the mere fact of raising my voice and standing up caused the guard to knock on the door and say, you can't do that. Uh, they had reviewers that were watching us. And they went to the extreme after Abu Ghraib. So... If I were to question the manhood or sexuality of the interviewee to try to get an emotional response out of him, uh, they would have knocked on the door. There were, there were certain things. They had this inter interrogator manual that the Army had to adhere to. We didn't have to adhere to it, but, you know, we were there uh, at the—we were at the—we were there at the benevolence of the military, so— it probably wouldn't take much for them to complain and say this person's got to go and uh, I would be on a plane heading back to the States if I pushed it too far. So anyway, he tells me about this. Now, I ended up putting the, the little private in for a commendation from the FBI because he, he probably saved our lives, uh, more than likely saved the life of the brother of that uh, leader of the terror cell. Because uh, the agent that was in the booth with me and the interpreter, we talked about it afterward as we were decompressing about the whole situation. And we talked about what we would do because you have to get yourself in that mental mindset of how you're going to deal with this evil. And what would have happened had he pulled it out and tried to attack one of us. <coughs> the idea that we came up with at the time was telling the interpreter the first thing you do is stand on a chair, reach up, and put your hand over the camera. Because myself and the other agent uh, would have had probably a hands-on conversation with that individual. And I can tell you, uh, when you get into a deadly force situation, the, the best way to ensure that everything's fine and that the correct story is being told is if you're the only one around to tell it. And we had the mindset that we would have made sure that we were the only ones around telling that story. Uh, we would have taken care of business and <coughs> it wouldn't have taken long. Uh, when you're dealing with absolute evil, and I've seen it in other places, not just from terrorists, uh, but from sitting in a room with an individual that would harm children, absolute evil. To listen to somebody try to explain to me why it's okay to rape and sodomize an eight-year-old boy, you, you, <coughs> you can't wrap your mind around it. There is absolute evil in the world. I'm, I'm telling you that. And the only way to deal, to make sure that absolute evil is not a problem, is if you eliminate it. <coughs> Excuse me. And that brings us to what's going on over in the Middle East. So 
Hamas, a terrorist organization, flies in on these gliders and slaughters individuals. <coughs> they uh, slaughter toddlers, little children, and do unspeakable things to them. The way that they see this is that it doesn't affect them. I mean, there, there's there's a story going on around out there now where they had slaughtered a family and the children are crying there and these guys are sitting around eating their food. So what Israel is going to have to do is they're going to go in and have to exterminate and eliminate Hamas. I mean, the only way that this ends is one of two things happens, and that's <clears throat> bringing to bear the full weight of the military Israeli defense force at eliminating Hamas. Hamas has to go. That, that's it. You, I, I would if if they were asking me for recommendations when you go into battle, you don't stop until they're gone, and they all have to be gone. And if you side with them, you know you're going to have to pick a side. Uh, we got a couple minutes before Lieutenant Darrell uh, Darren Gob gets Lieutenant Colonel Darren Gob gets in here, and I want to hear what you got to say about it. I just told you my story of looking into the face of evil. We got Robert on the line. Robert, what you want to talk about? Hello. Hey, Robert. Go ahead. You're on the air. Hey, yeah, uh, I truly appreciate your perspective on uh, you know what you, uh, what you've experienced uh, dealing with these uh, types of uh, peep human beings, people, and it's. I guess you, you bring it. Up, you you get it to where you know people, you normies. I guess like you can call them, can understand what's going on. Uh, you know, I keep hearing people talk about, especially people who convert to Islam, about you know how the moral superiority of Islam and Islamic culture is because you know, they look at the decadence of the United States and things we did happen here, and to they to a point to a degree they have a point, but they. They ignore, like you said, the things that what they're allowed to do in the name of Islam, as long as they win. And they're, they're, no, they can do well, they the, the only way they win is you die. That that's yeah. their that's their ultimate goal. Is if if you're an infidel, if you're not a believer, uh, you're you're nothing to them. They'll they'll agree with whatever you want to agree with. But in the end of the negotiation, you die. That's that's their only the only thing that they demand. And what they're allowed, you know, like you said, to do to women and children. No, oh, they can't have sex out of marriage if it's another a Muslim, but they can do anything they want to women who are they they declare infidel. Uh, you can do anything, literally anything to them, and that's and that's okay in their in their eyes of their religion. Well, yeah, that's. I mean, that's. I'm glad you're bringing that perspective to it, and you're absolutely right about what Israel has to do. You know, the uh, the big deal everybody was making about bombing that hospital, which could turn okay, that turned out to be a hoax. And it didn't. Do, it didn't really happen. But I was of the stance that, well, what do you think is going to happen? This is war, and things like that are going to happen in a war. And uh, you know, for it, people in the West to lose their minds over hospitals get bombed or bombed or schools get bombed, what do you think happened in World War Two? And 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 wars like that. Or Korea. My my grandfather told me, you know, of you know when I was old enough to to be able to psychologically grasp it. He said the North Koreans would march toward them with children in front of them. And when he was in the foxhole, 
He sees North Koreans with children marching toward them, children, using children as the shields. And I asked my grandfather, well, what happened? He said, I'm here. You, I mean, exactly. <clears throat> they, if, you're not pre- if you're not prepared to do that, then, you're not pre- then you don't want to win. Now, let me give you an epilogue. So I, I told you about the, the guy that was in the interview booth with me, uh, this brother of a leader of a terror cell. He, uh, you know, we interviewed him. A, we tried to interview him a couple more times after that. Uh, we, we just basically made his day miserable. We brought him over uh, just, I can't remember how many times for interviews because it's such a drain on them to get them from one place to another. I mean, it's an all-day affair. <clears throat> and it's very annoying and uh, and aggravates them. And he got to the point where he just really shut down. So we'd play cards and eat pizza in front of him. Uh, but I'm sitting in the McDonald's on Highway 51 here in Madison about a year later and looking at the USA Today. And we turned that prison over. The Obama administration had us turn that prison over to the Iraqis. And shortly thereafter, a lot of escapes. So I'm reading the USA Today and there's a listing in there, I think it's September of 2010, uh, of four people that escaped from what was Camp Cropper. They called it something else when the Iraqis took over. And guess whose name was among the four? It was the individual that was in that booth with me. The one that wanted to take this shank, this nail with other things attached to it, mm-hmm. to kill me, uh, was out there. Well, Robert, I appreciate you calling in. I wish I could spend more time on it. Uh, we're going to take okay, a break man. now. We're going to have Lieutenant Colonel Darren Gobb come in and weigh in on his experience with terror. This is Chris Hinkle in for Kim Wade on WYAB. All right. We're back on the air here at WYAB. This is Chris Hinkle, your radio G-man, sitting in for the radio strongman, Kim Wade. It is 20 minutes until 5 o'clock, so you've got one hour and 20 minutes to get out of Jackson before the Gun and Knife Club starts. Uh, On the line right now, we have Lieutenant Colonel Darren Gobb of Restored Liberty, and I've seen him a number of times, he and Blaine Holt, uh, his partner on Newsmax. And Darren is, along with uh, uh, Blaine, is a... Are, are experts on military, terrorism, things like that. Now, I had asked him if he would come on and talk to us a little bit and give us a better kind of uh, bare-bones understanding of how we got into this situation over in Israel, if we get some time to talk a little bit about Ukraine, and if we have even more time to talk about what's the current state of our military. Darren, welcome to the show, and I appreciate you doing this for me, friend. Hey, uh, what a pleasure to join you. Thanks for having me on. And it, uh, what a time to be alive and to see what's happening and what an even greater challenge to try to, to try to understand it. I mean, you know, you know, I, I, real quick before you get into giving us a, a little bit of a background of what's going on, uh, I posted something on my, uh, LinkedIn account. I said, if there was only a book that we could take a look at that would give us an idea of how things are unfolding in the Middle East, and I posted a picture of the Bible, and it's amazing how accurate that book is. Uh, that I haven't found anything in there that anybody has disproven. They'll say, "Well, we can't prove it," but they also can't disprove it. And it's amazing. It's all. It's almost like the, uh, you know, during the COVID uh, scam that was going on, how a lot of us 
uh, a lot of us out there that were saying this is what's going on in the background. They called us conspiracy theorists. There's no way you could know that. And we turned out to be right. The Bible kind of turns out to be right a lot, and it's really right about what's going on in the Middle East. So tell us what what got us into this situation. How did we, how did we wind up where we're we're likely going to have to defend Israel uh, and possibly do some battle with Iran if Iran is stupid enough to challenge us? Yeah, no, that's um, well. Let's just wind ourselves back to Obama <laughs> and remind ourselves of his apology tour throughout the Middle East and his foreign policy failures and everything else. And a pallet load of and, cash. Yeah. You know, here's your money. We assume you're going to be good and, and be nice with it and only buy your people food and medical supplies and water and things like that, uh, which anybody who knows anything about the Middle East and, and the moles of, of Tehran and all that stuff, it's um, no deal is any good with them. They have a, a single-minded focus on what they want to accomplish and everything else is just a means to get there. So, Ultimately, what we're dealing with now is a failed Obama foreign policy 3.0. But what does that mean? It means we're going to remove sanctions from Iran, work on a nuclear deal. We're going to bribe them to release hostages or bribe them for basically anything. We're going to help them get flush with cash. And when they're flush with cash, we're going to, that means they're going to use our, your and my taxpayer dollars to fund their mercenary, mercenary armies that we call Hamas, Hezbollah, frankly, the Houthi rebels in Yemen and other like organizations throughout the Middle East. So ultimately, that's exactly the same thing that happened with Obama. We we talked about the violence that happened in 2014, happened in 2021 at the beginning of the Biden administration. And so when you appease them, embolden them, fund them, and they've told you what they're going to do anyways— meaning their goal is to wipe Israel off the face of the earth, and then they use these mercenary armies to try to do that, the last thing we should be is surprised. That's a big picture of how we got here. Who helps Iran? Well, Russia, clearly. China, clearly. Not necessarily, can we always say, with direct money or other things, but they're more than happy to let what is happening in the Middle East continue because it creates a distraction for us as America and what I call the forefront war. Our primary front and primary concern is our own southern border. But now we've got ourselves spending money and material in Ukraine, Israel, and ignoring the fact that China thinks they've been at war with us for decades. And frankly, they have been. We just haven't recognized it. So uh, that's how we got here in the big picture-wise. Israel, again, just Obama 3.0, predictable results difference is I think Israel recognizes that it's either wipe Hamas off the map uh, or look at your nation potentially disappear. Now, biblically, we know that that's not going to happen, except for in that book, how it's described. But uh, it's an existential crisis to Israel either way. By them recognizing it, I think they just need to take over Gaza Strip, own it, and keep the U.N. out. I agree. Uh, And I I hope at some point the next time I'm uh, in here, either for— uh, for Kim Wade or Jameson Haygood or or Clay Edwards is to have our friend Rebecca Cheney on here to kind of give a, mm. a historical background, scriptural background of of how we got to where we are. There there is no country of Palestine, and that, that's what frustrates me. Even the UN doesn't recognize it. It's a state, uh, according to the UN, and 
fortunately, we haven't changed that uh, stance from the U.S. that we would pull funding from the U.N. if they were to recognize Palestine as a country. I, there, there is no two-state solution. There, there's just not. You can't negotiate yeah. with people. And I don't know if you heard prior to coming on what what I talked about with my instance of looking pure evil in the eye. Their their ultimate goal is your death. That's 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 the end game. Uh, they'll they'll do anything. They'll say anything uh, as long as you die. That that's that's the, well, the last thing. I, I think you'd be you know you'd do awesome to have her back on. To talk about that, I know she's listening now. Um, but. Now, now, talk to us a little bit about. Uh, I, I don't want to get so distracted by uh, by Israel, but where do you think we're going to be going in this this Israel thing? What What are your sources? What are your What's your instincts? What's your education, training, and experience telling you of where you think we're headed? I mean, we've had had troops at, attacked. Uh, I, I haven't seen much of a response. Uh, to that i i know how president trump would have responded to it he would have said hey go over and take a look at that greasy spot where soleimani used to used to be standing uh you know that's how we take care of business there what are we doing now well um not enough when it comes to defending our own and sending a message that not to not mess with us um and so there's like 19 outposts throughout Syria, Iraq, and we've got Americans throughout the Middle East. And, and the message we're, we've been sending since the fall of Kabul is, hey, you know, do whatever you want to us. Uh, we may wag our finger at you, drop a couple bombs, make ourselves look angry, uh, and then and go back to what we were doing, which is you know, covering up for Hunter Biden and a bunch of other things. Uh, my concern is the... All these outposts, American military personnel, some of whom I'm in conversations with on a daily basis right now, trying to figure out some of the things going on, truth versus fiction. And uh, they're or as or as Joe Biden would say, truth versus facts. I mean, (laughs) yeah, of course, he wouldn't remember saying it. But, hey, um, I don't like the fact that these guys are out there. That's one of the big risks. The second thing is the fact that they shouldn't be out there anyways. They're not constitutionally mandated to, and authorized to be there. And we'll use uh, Syria specifically as an example. We are basically occupying Syria without the authorization of Congress. And Congress is the only one who can declare war and do these kinds of things. The president can't just unilaterally make that decision on his own. So I, there's a lot of risk to all these different American force outposts throughout the Middle East because they're there and they're targets. These people know they're there. And they're going to continue to attack them. One-way drones and all these kinds of things are going to continue coming after these these outposts. And that's one of my concerns is that then also gets used as an excuse to escalate this war because we think we're defending ourselves in a a country where, frankly, we shouldn't even be. Now, I don't want a single American life lost. I think if we're going to be there, we need to make it such a loud message to Iran and – pull a Soleimani type of a scenario, like I said, with Trump. It's just smack him so hard it becomes very obvious. Oh, yeah. to leave us alone. What is it uh, they, they say, <clears throat> you know, everybody understands a, a punch in the mouth. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so while I've, while I've got you here for a couple more minutes, uh, let's talk Ukraine. Uh, mm. What a mess uh, that we have gotten ourselves into and how quickly that, that happened. And I, I'll, it, it's frustrating to hear the current administration 
blaming a lot of our economic problems on Russia when all of that started way before this Ukraine thing. So what's your thoughts on Ukraine? What 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 happens here? I, I can't see Russia just surrendering and giving all that land in the Donbass region back to to Ukraine. I, I just don't think that's going to happen. So what do we do? Yeah, I think uh, ultimately what we do is we let them settle it. <laughs> I mean, it, it, nobody likes to see what's happening. Nobody wants to see uh, the death and and just the destruction of, of what war causes anywhere. But this is a border dispute between Russia and Ukraine. Ukraine's not NATO, so it's not a NATO Article 5 thing where they automatically trigger that treaty. Not our ally either. Not our ally, not by any stretch of the imagination. Very corrupt, taking our money and buying Porsches and various things like that. I, I've argued, so, and I've, I've said this to our elected representatives and to at least one of our senators here in Mississippi, uh, Ukraine, in my 25 years uh, with as a federal agent and working counterintelligence and counterterrorism matters, is, is, if not one of, is the most corrupt government on the face of the earth. And to see people trying to embrace their current leader over there who has outlawed a, an entire religion, who has outlawed an opposition party, who is doing all the things that are antithetical to our republic in the way that we operate under our Constitution, similar to these idiot students. Uh, and and I, I hate to use that word because I don't want to disparage actual idiots, uh, but these <laughs> idiot students that want to embrace and celebrate uh, Hamas when they, especially when you see things like queers for Hamas, queers for Palestine, yeah. <laughs> my yeah. goodness! Hey, could you hold? Can you hold on for just a few minutes while we take a quick break? And let's sure. talk a little bit. Talk a little bit more about Ukraine, and hopefully we can get squeezing some time about uh, military as well. Uh, this is Chris Hinkle on WYEB, and we're going to take a short break and come back with Lieutenant Colonel Darren Gobb. All right, we're back on WYEB. We got Lieutenant Colonel Darren Gobb on here. Uh, so, talk a little bit about Ukraine. Where are we going? What do you think? Uh, what do you think should happen, and what do you think is going to happen? I know those are probably two different things. Well, I think the key question you asked there is, "What are we doing?" And so far, nobody really knows. All we're really doing is spending our money and sending our, our munitions and equipment over there, hoping that you uh, can pull the win out of this. And it's debatable, of course, as far as who's on whose side here. But regardless, we're we're losing a lot of our own military readiness in the process of shipping it overseas. We're continuing to advance our debt by sending our money overseas and wasting it. And I, I guess I compare this when I talk to people around the country who ask this question. I bring it back home. And I say, you know, if the lower 48 was the lower 47 states and Texas was its own country with some historical ties to us, but still had a mix of different kinds of people. And there was a war breakout between the two, between the, you know, the U.S. and Texas over two counties on the border. Does that suddenly become the rest of the world's problem to solve? Well, that's essentially what you've got in with the Russia-Ukraine conflict. It's a border dispute between two nations with a lot of historical ties that we're not going to settle. What does it look like in the end? 
I, don't, you know, I keep comparing this to two boxers at the extreme late part of a, of a match who are both so exhausted they can hardly hold each other up to even swing a punch. I think it's just going to be, it's just going to come down to will either one of them ever be forced into a position to have to give up because they're not going to voluntarily do it. Yeah. Hey, Darren, real quick, <clears throat> do you have a couple of minutes after this break? I really want to uh, want to finish this thought on Ukraine and then maybe get some of your final thoughts on what, what do you think our, our military readiness is like right now? Is that okay? Absolutely. All right. We're going to get you after the break. This is Chris Hinkle on WYAB. In for Radio Strongman, Kim Wade. It's Chris Hinkle, your radio G-man, back in for Kim Wade on WYAB. And we're talking to Lieutenant Colonel Darren Gobb, and we're talking Ukraine right now. So, Darren, finish your thoughts on Ukraine about what what would you like to see done, uh, but what do you think the Biden administration is actually going to do? Chris, frankly, what I'd like to see done is to have the killing stop and everybody just freeze in place and get around a table and figure out how to settle this in another way. I know that's unrealistic. Unfortunately, something significant happening, but that's what I would love to see personally. Uh, Outside of that, I think the Biden administration has shown its ability to uh, not solve any problems and generally make them worse in most of the interactions. We just saw that in Israel again going into, into there and getting snubbed. Um, and, you know, in my opinion, if, when he was given Benjamin Netanyahu that hug, it, he probably more accurately would have had two knives in each, or a knife in each hand mm. in the process. So uh, from an American perspective, ultimately, I think we need to be able to use financial tools more and, and go back to really more of a Trump model of making Russia and others accountable through financial means and not through you know, invasion means, I guess you could say, and, you know, in the end, he missed, Biden missed his chance. All he had to do really was tell Russia and tell Putin that we would not back up putting Ukraine into into NATO and left it as a buffer state. And although it's not a perfect answer, I don't know for sure, but I doubt we'd be sitting here today talking about a war in Ukraine like this. Yeah, it makes me wonder, and I wonder what your thoughts on it. Cliff and I were talking during the break. Uh, I honestly, you know, with Occam's razor being the most likely answer is probably the answer. I can't imagine that Zelensky doesn't have access to information that implicates the Bidens, because how else would he be able to just walk over here and keep going back with millions and millions and millions of dollars uh, to bring back to Ukraine and to do the things that he does of outlawing an entire religion, of outlawing opposition parties, uh, of doing all the things that are antithetical to our republic. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think that those conversations happen place in the background that, you know, it'd be a real shame if uh, this information came to light? 
I'm sure they are. And, and I think each day in America, we keep seeing things like, oh, 40 FBI whistleblowers blowers information have been withheld from Congress's investigation. I mean, it's, it seems like there is no end to what this administration will sacrifice in order to save itself and destroy a country at, in some regards in the process. I'm, I'm thankful that America is made from the bottom up and not the top down because we can survive these things better than most. I'm certain what we're doing in Ukraine, though, ultimately is burning the Biden bank and removing as much of the evidence as possible. But uh, over time, I think that truth will come out. It's just a question of whether or not it's in time. Now, what do you think about with our porous and open border? Cliff and I were talking about the break with that, and he was asking my thoughts about why we're letting <clears throat> all of these different cultures and ideologies and probably terrorists come across our southern border. What is the end game for this administration in flooding the zone with all of these uh, diverse cultures? Uh, and I hate using the word diversity. It, I, I cringe every time. I cringed every time when I was in the FBI, and I used to hear that phrase, diversity is our strength. I mean, it's, it's just an absolute joke. Uh, but what do you think the end game is here with allowing this flood of all of these different cultures and ideologies coming across our southern border? What do you think the end game is that with the people that are actually running the Biden administration? I think the end game is to basically let a fourth front of war play out. And it's actually our first and most important front, and we're ignoring it. And the end game would be, you know, we can let all these people through who want to make a greater life for themselves in America, and we can bring all kinds of different cultures in and, and water down the unique American culture, which is, in many ways is, although we're a melting pot, we still had a common ideology of, of faith, family, and freedom, and we're ruining that as well. But in the midst of all this, you've got many, many thousands of these people, and hopefully not hundreds of thousands, that are sneaking through with, with these crowds that are going to be putting themselves in societies and all across the country, willing and able to be activated in order to do dangerous and various things in our country. And I think there's no way around it, and I think we have to acknowledge that possibility while hoping that it is completely wrong. Because the scenario I build in my mind that we've been building as an organization in Restore Liberty for quite some time now is Afghanistan falls. Ukraine Ukraine happened right after that, which we predicted. We predicted to within a couple months of what was going on in the Middle East right now, and we just predicted to within 24 hours of Israel's movement by ground into Gaza. Then we're saying that we think that China is going to take advantage of the fact that we're now on what is a three-front war, if you include our southern border. What do you do if you're China and your military is really not that good, but you really also want Taiwan and you see a window of time when we are ineptly led by Joe Biden? Well, you create problems inside America, too, that make everything even harder to do. And you do that by sneaking in people who are willing to do dangerous and terrible things. I just saw a picture of a journal, one page, thousands of pages, totally in length. 18 of the 22 lines on that page were people coming from China saying they were going to go to Mexico and take part in tourism. And we know that's a lie, and we know where they're going. And if you multiply that across thousands of pages, you've got a big problem in this country, and community self-defense is where people need to look because the government 
is not going to be able to help them at that scale if this happens, which, of course, we pray it does not. And that dovetails into the other thing I wanted to talk about, and, and that's our military. I, I've, I've long talked about the dilution of the core values that were part of the FBI when I joined it in the 90s, and I've, I've got some really good friends that go all the way back to the 80s, and those core values were, were the same back then. And then they started getting diluted with a lot of this diversity stuff, with celebrating other cultures. We can't understand those cultures unless we bring them in and embrace them. And it was just on and on and on. And they never would provide us any substantive data to support their assessment that diversity was our strength. Um, How is this affecting the military? I, I know, you know, people don't understand how powerful our military has been. And, you know, when I... When I used to talk to them, when I talked to my parents when I was in the military and they talked to me about China and Russia, I said, you don't, you don't understand exactly how powerful our military is. It doesn't matter that China had billions of, you know, a billion people, soldiers and stuff. That war, if we really wanted to go toe to toe, would not last long. Or at least when I was in, it wouldn't have lasted long. And you look how fast we, you know, like a hot knife through butter that we cut through uh, when we liberated Kuwait from the Iraqis and how quick we went through and, you know, tore into into Baghdad. How are we looking right now with the depletion of our resources and with the uh, indoctrination of this next, uh, I guess, this next generation of war fighters uh, with all of the introduction of the diversity and inclusion and transgender and things like that? How, how are we looking? What, what are your what are your people telling you inside uh, the military, uh, uh, are we in danger? Well, simply put, I think we are. And it's not because there aren't many phenomenal people serving in the military at all ranks and in all services. But it's because of what the leadership has become and allowed. You already mentioned the diversity, equity, and inclusion garbage, which basically tells everybody, every single person who's white, that you're an oppressor. Everybody else is oppressed and and breaking up the teamwork that was the the highlight of general milley's testimony before congress the teamwork is the glue that binds everything together it doesn't matter our technology our equipment or any of that if you don't have teamwork and leadership you don't have a military so that is that is a concern but i'm also hopeful for the fact that if we were to be called on the military that the fact that so many people are able to be you know use their ingenuity to to create solutions where they have to. Uh, my concern starts in the Oval Office with an inept commander-in-chief, with his willing acolytes who wear lots of stars and were willing to sacrifice whatever morals and ethics in order to get there, and what our military understands about what the Constitution says and what their oath really means. That I have a hard time with. And I think there's lots of other things we can talk about with regards to equipment readiness, training, uh, availability of munitions, and all that kind of stuff. All of it is coming together to me to cause me no small amount of concern. Uh, but I remain eminently confident that if we had to, we'd find a way to get it done. That's my prayer, too. You know, after serving in the military, being I was there for Desert Shield, Desert Storm, and then uh, spent my time over in Baghdad with the FBI, is that uh, it's it's the rank and file that uh, will we'll end up fighting the war. And I thought it was very telling that 
the uh, the Democrats in the Senate when they talked about their great workaround of getting uh, people approved in the military. You know, with Senator Tuberville holding off on you know wanting to do these one at a time on these uh, line commander uh, uh, approvals through Congress to put these people in these leadership positions. Is they found a way to get around to put the chairman of the Joint Chiefs and the Joint Chiefs in, and I get the stunned look on a lot of people's faces when I tell them the uh, the Joint Chiefs and the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, they are not in the military chain of command. They don't command yep. forces. There's there's no one under them except them, and they are advisors to the administration and others. So it's it's not like you know they're out there calling the shots or anything like that that's it's it's the line commanders and in the you know hand wringing over do we not you know we haven't got all these promotions going through there's somebody making that decision in that in that position mm-hmm. well Darren I appreciate you taking the time to to be with me and the next time I get you on here I definitely want to uh I want to pursue some some other areas and talk a little bit more about restore liberty I really appreciate uh, what you and Blaine and Rebecca Cheney are doing. Uh, you're, you're just, you're people that I pray for daily. And thank you so much for taking the time to help us get a little bit better understanding of where we're at, uh, in this, in this front with the border, Ukraine and, uh, over in Israel. Thanks a lot. And I, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Chris. And, uh, if people want to see Blaine and I together, they can watch uh, Newsmax 11 a.m. Eastern on Sunday. All right, bud. Thanks a lot. <laughs> hey, we're going to take a break right now, and when we come back, we're going to bring in some callers and talk a little bit about things uh, going on in Jackson and the state of Mississippi, and I'll give you some insight on some things happening in my life uh, with over in Madison, and we're going to open it up to you and what you want to talk about. Uh, got a caller on hold right now. We're going to talk to him right after this break. This is Chris Hinkle on WYAB. All right. This is Chris Hinkle, your radio G-man, in for Kim Wade on WYAB. You can call in on the Complete Exteriors call-in line at 601-879-0002. That's CompleteExteriorsMS.com. If you're going to contact them by the telephone, call Eddie at 601-326-2755. On the line right now, we have Wade. He wanted to call in and actually talk to to Darren. I apologize that uh, we had to cut it short with Darren. Uh, but, Wade, we can talk a little bit, and I'll give you some contact information for Darren uh, so you can reach out to him. What do you want okay, to talk about? Okay, I'd like to. Uh, that was pretty uh, – enjoyed that. Uh, enjoyed him calling in and talking to you there. Awesome show today, sir. Appreciate it. Um, I just wanted to ask you a question. Uh, he didn't really get to the to the main question you asked him there on the end. The diversity part was – we kind of all know that, I think. But uh, on the reserve – on our reserves and on our weapons that we have – can you fill us in more? <clears throat> I listen to Natural News. <clears throat> Mike Adams a lot. I don't know if you know who he is. Uh, he I haven't heard of, of him, but I'll definitely check him out. Yeah, he has a lot of inside. He has a lot of military guys under him, you know, that, that stay in contact with him. And, and he's been talking about the depletion of our weapons for months now, uh, probably for over a year now, really. And uh, I just kind of wanted to know if you could give us a little more information on that. Well, it, it concerns me, and if you watched any of the uh, first two presidential uh, Republican uh, primary debates, uh, if you remember, Nikki Haley talked about this, that we've uh, given out, it's either 3 or 4% of our, our military surplus budget resources just dealing with Ukraine. Uh, 
Yeah, that's that's that number is like I trust Nikki like I trust you know my Doberman, but um, I think it's it's probably a, a whole lot higher than that. It's probably just the reverse of that. It's probably eighty five percent because we know we don't we know we don't have the capability to replace that overnight. You know, we have a lot of facilities that have been burned up, bombed, destroyed in the last three years that, you know, we're not really set up to do that like we were in the day or even 15 years ago. Yeah, it's uh, I think and you've you've got the other issue, too, with our elected representatives that are more prone to uh, bending the knee to the donor class than their actual right. constituents. And, and I've actually had conversations with at least one of them, and that's Roger Wicker. And, and I can tell you, Roger Wicker, his constituents aren't the citizens of Mississippi. They are the military-industrial complex. So right. you'll constantly yeah. see him on the air with any opportunity uh, to to funnel taxpayer resources to, to the military donor class. And, and yeah. he did that with Ukraine. And then you've got, and I'll call him uh, a moron, I would say it to his face, Lindsey Graham, saying something moronic like, well, we'll just take Putin out. Uh, I mean, what an idiot. I mean, what what happens there? We saw what happened when we you know, took leaders of, of other countries out. And yeah. we really need to get back to the Trump policies of, you have to remember, uh, we have our natural national interest uh, at heart. So do other countries. They have a national yeah. interest as well. And uh, it's, it's similar to what I, I talked about, about um, I was talking to some friends the other day about dealing with the enemy. Uh, whenever you go into battle with somebody, the enemy gets a vote. It's not just you, but the enemy gets a vote. Right. And uh, I, I don't know where we go from here. I know what I think should happen. Uh, I think we should do everything we can to support Israel. I think we should tell uh you know, if Iran wants to say that, you know, we better not do something or they'll respond, I would say, hey, jump. Let's go. Yeah, I, I think we, you know, I'm not uh, against Israel. I'm not against Palestine. I'm not against either one. I think we ought to keep our nose in our own business a little more around the world. Well, I, I tend to lean more on my Christian faith. So uh, our, earth is, our country is getting to, is being depleted as we speak. You know what I mean? It's not that's not something we're going to easily come back from. This is not something that we. Uh, give us a couple of years and everything's fine mm-hmm. when we're dancing around everybody out there and, and, and appeasing who we want because we like their money or their our laundromat for our money. That That's just, you know, we need to keep our interest here. You know, we need to worry about us. Like you said, the Trump policies, America first, that's not saying everybody else last. That's saying just like they do, we need to keep ourselves first. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, as far as Israel, we need to have Israel's back 100%. Ukraine, that's a train wreck, and we need to pull our resources out of there. That, yes, that's I a agree. Europe problem. They're not part of NATO. It's not a NATO problem, and we're not going to fight and, a proxy you know, war with Russia. And a lot of people have a problem with, with Putin. I don't have as much problem when I see exactly what happened with NATO. When you march up to their borders over a few years' time and we said we wouldn't do that, we're, we we passed where we said we wouldn't go, and we we went a lot. Not us, NATO went a lot further, and has stepped up to his door. We didn't allow that during the Cuban Missile Crisis. We stopped that. You're not going to put them at our door. You're not going to have your sites and your facilities at our door. NATO shouldn't have theirs at Russia's door. You know, I think they have every right to protect themselves from NATO because NATO's not. They're not a God-fearing entity. 
you know. <laughs> well, I agree with that. Now, as far as as far as, you, you yeah, as far as support to for Palestine, uh, you know, it, it's the the Palestinians and the people in Gaza that elected Hamas as their leadership. So, you know, right. stick with your leadership, and you can go down with them. Or, but but you know, who you created Hamas though? Hamas was created by Israel. So, I mean, really, it's a they're fighting themselves in one way. You know. Not not sure if I agree with that. <laughs> they cre- created Hamas. Uh, Hamas is a is a terrorist organization. Uh, that well, that they was... are elected in that. They are elected in that. You know, we can call them terrorists, but they were elected where they're at. You know, in that part of Palestine. So you know, terrorists, but they were elected in part of the government there. You know, so to me, there is. I'm not saying Hamas is good. I'm just like you said earlier. They want you to die. At the end of the day, all that matters is that you're dead. Well, that's that's the ideology of, of a terrorist organization, and we right, shouldn't support right. Hamas. And the best thing that can happen is for every one of the uh, individuals who subscribe to Hamas are, are permanently brought to room temperature. Well, and that goes a little further. Hezbollah, too. You know, I mean, that stretches right on over to to all those terrorist organizations. Yep, I agree. Well, hey, Wade, thanks for calling in. And if you want to get in touch with uh, with Darren, you can reach him at restore-liberty.org. That's the minus sign liberty.org. All of his contact information is there and his background, and you can get in touch with Blaine Holt as well. That's awesome. Thank thanks a lot, bud. I appreciate it. All right, on the other line, we've got Sylvia. I've heard you a number of times on Kim Wade's show. It's an honor to speak with you. What you got going on, Sylvia? That. that was really kind. First of all, I want to say thank you for your service. I served as well. I was in just before you in the 80s. I got out just at the beginning of the, um, just just prior to the 90s. But um, I'm thankful that I served. I'm glad that I served. And I do feel this is just my own little plug about the military. We should do what Israel does. When they finish high school, I don't want just two years. I want everyone male and female to go into the military you pick your choice where you would like to go spend four years grow up put your little money in your pocket and get to see a portion of the world and then i do feel our young people will appreciate the united states a lot more than what they do now i don't think they understand the wonderful things that we have and privileges that we have here in the united states for being americans as americans I, I agree, and I, I think that you know one of the things that I appreciated was the uh, the the first time when I got to Enzerlik, Turkey, in 1988, and the first time I went to see a movie at the base theater there uh, at Enzerlik Air Base, right outside Adana, not far from the coast. And the first time you're standing up and you hear the national anthem inside a theater on a base in a foreign country, you you just really come to realize. Uh, how how fortunate you are uh to to come from the united states it's it's one of the reasons why you know the last night i was in basic training in the air force our uh our drill instructors sat down with us and kind of let their hair down and talked to us and one of the things they did was they played lee greenwood's uh proud to be an american and i can tell you there were 50 people in that room counting the drill instructors and there was not a dry eye in that room it's just I, I just hope that the if if we did do that, if we forced people into military service, it's going to be what are the core values we're going to instill in them. I, I don't know if we can 
have those core values of this diversity and inclusion, diversity and equity and inclusion, or critical race theory type crowd that are running things, uh, like General Milley. Uh, what branch of military did you serve in, Sylvia? I was in the Army, and as I said, I was there for four years, and I uh, did choose my <laughs> my MOS, but and I could have used it after I got out, but I didn't. I went a different route. But I, I did want to say the reason why I think our young people should go is because they need to love America and learn to love America and why and what we stand for and why, as the guest spoke earlier, about family, freedom, and what was the other thing he said? Um, I don't remember the third thing. I want to say religion, but that not might, that might not be it. But what I was calling to say is that I want to thank you for saying, I'm going to use my own terminology, Hamas needs to be wiped out. I don't agree with the last caller at all. They need to be destroyed. And we also need to remember what the Lord told people. He said, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. Now, he's talking about his children, Israel, the nation Israel, or the state, however you want to put it, it, it is considered a state as well. But he is talking about the Jewish people. Those are his folks, the same people that, he's, that are in the Old Testament he's talking about. You curse, he's going to curse those who curse them and bless those who bless them. I feel that if the United States turns their back, and that's what uh, Biden would like to do on Israel, we will be most definitely doomed. Yes, ma'am. I feel that because we have Christians that are here that are still practicing, praying, Bible-believing, Bible-applying to their lives and asking the Lord Jesus Christ to be the leaders of their lives and show them daily, momently, by moment, how we should be walking and living and talking and breathing and doing, we might be spared. But if we don't stand up as Christians, Biblically, as you were telling that man, we're going to fall, and the nation will fall. Yes, ma'am. Hey, hey, Sylvia, I hate to, hate to cut you off. We're coming up, on a, coming up on a hard break right here. I appreciate you calling in. I always look forward to hearing you when you're talking with Kim. This is Chris Hinkle on WYAB. All right. This is Chris Hinkle, Radio G-Man, in for Kim Wade. And just as a fair warning, you've got about 18 and a half minutes to get out of Jacktown. If you're not strapped down in Jacktown, you need to be out by sundown. Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about some things that you can do. We've talked about pure evil and my experience of sitting in the room with that. Uh, we've talked about uh, what's going on in the Middle East and over in Ukraine and the status of our military. One of the things that that I've instilled into, to my children, and I'll say hello to my, my sons, Jake, Josh, and Noah. Yes, we do the biblical names there, Jacob, Joshua, and Noah. Uh, and they understand this, and my wife definitely understands this, uh, it is how to be aware of your surroundings and protect yourself. And it's, I'll give you some tips here of things that I've picked up from my time in the FBI and that I still practice sometimes unconsciously today. So we were over in the, the Holy Lands uh, about a week and a half ago. And when I mention Holy Lands, anybody that knows me knows I'm talking about Tuscaloosa, Alabama, uh, where the football universe, it's the center of the football universe. You just need to go ahead and accept it. It's Nick Saban's world, and you're just living in it. 
but anyway, uh, we're sitting there having uh, eating a brunch at a restaurant in downtown Tuscaloosa, just off of Greensboro Avenue. And when we go to sit down, my brother tried to sit in a seat that I was getting into. I, uh, I call him my baby brother. He's about two years younger than I am. And my wife reminds him, I can't sit with my back to a door. Uh, I can't sit with my back to a window. I feel uncomfortable when I do that. Now, I've got a choice here in the studio. I'm facing a door, but my back's to a window. But we're on the second floor, so uh, hopefully uh, things are fine. You, you might, I might you know, casually glance over. But I, I feel more comfortable and more protective of my family when I'm looking around. So I want to give you some tips of things that I actually do that can help you out. Because the world is, unfortunately, especially with our poorest border, is not getting safer. It's, it's, and if you haven't prepared yourself to be what I would call getting comfortable with violence. Uh, what I do, here's some basic things. So when you park your vehicle... Hopefully you're not parking it in Jackson because the, uh, as we found, it's uh, a significant percentage out of a hundred cars. If you drive into Jackson, your your car is either not going to be there, or somebody's going to take it from you while you're in it. Hopefully not you in the car with it. Um, I locked my car twice, so I, I hit the button and then I hit it again, so that it cements in my mind that when I left that vehicle, it was locked. Uh, the reason I do that is I, I want to know for sure that it's locked. I had a friend of mine, Brad, that told me about he was in the uh, in Jackson off of 55, and he parked his truck. And when he came back out, the lights were kind of flashing. And when he got in the truck, he noticed that his checkbook was gone, the console was open, uh, that somebody had been in the truck. So I, I lock it twice so that when I come back, I should still see the truck my truck, my vehicle, in the same condition that I left it. The second thing that I do, uh, if I have the opportunity, I'll kind of glance around to see if anything unusual look around my truck is there. Am I seeing a piece of my truck on the ground? You know, did somebody crawl under it and try to get my catalytic converters out? Something like that. Now, I'm not crawling underneath it right then, but I am kind of just glancing around. Then as soon as I get into my vehicle, the first thing that I do is lock the doors. Because you're safer in your vehicle than outside your vehicle, and you don't want somebody running up and grabbing a door and opening it and trying to get in. It's just something very simple to do. As soon as you get in, just lock the door. Now, when you're driving home, when you get into your neighborhood, one of the things I would recommend is stay aware of your surroundings as you're driving into your neighborhood. Now, my neighborhood is kind of off the beaten path in Madison. We're still technically in the county. And when we <laughs> when you go into the neighborhood, take note if there's an unusual vehicle around you. If there is a vehicle and you don't recognize it and it kind of stays with you, do not turn into your driveway, into your home. Just keep driving. It, it's, it's harder for them to get to you if someone is following you. Now, I'm not saying be paranoid about everything, but I do take a, a notice of vehicles that are around me. So if somebody is kind of on my tail and every time I turn in the neighborhood from street to street and they're staying with me and I don't recognize them, the last place I want to go is into my residence. I don't want them knowing where I live. They could probably figure out at some point, but they're not going to figure out at that point. 
and then I just drive on past my residence until I'm comfortable that it's okay to go home. The next thing I do when I get to the house and I back into my driveway is open, I'm back into my garage. I open up the garage, I back in, and then I close the garage before I get out of the vehicle. And that's because I can see around me and see if anything's even near my garage. And when it's, when it's there, I just make it a habit. It, it's second nature of how I get out of there. Uh, just some of the things that I do uh, to kind of stay aware. Now, if you're traveling on the road by yourself, one of the things I would recommend is to keep yourself aware of your surroundings. Sometimes I'll just call out vehicles in my head or just say it to myself in, in the truck. Hey, I'm passing a red Toyota. It's got a Mississippi plate or I'm passing a, you know, a green Subaru and it's got a, an Alabama plate. I may call out the plate number if there's not a lot of traffic on the road, just to kind of stay aware and get some things in my subconscious of, of what I'm looking at. And I, I have a, I'm prepared for what I need to do. The other thing that you need to be prepared to do. And, and, and I was able to help out my daughter-in-law who teaches, who was a teacher at a uh, school for disabled children, I went in and met with their staff and we walked around and looked at the classrooms. And one of the things I told them is you've got to get yourself mentally prepared uh, to engage in some type of violence. Uh, So if someone is trying to get to you, someone is grabbing you, someone is attacking you, you've got to be willing to do the things to survive. Uh, Simple things like get yourself in a mindset of being open to jabbing your thumbs deep into the eye sockets of someone of what I taught my kids, which is if somebody jumps them from behind and gives them into a bear hug, uh, the first thing they'll do is lower their center of gravity. They reach their hands up and they try to pry that little finger away from the hand and they snap it. Uh, cause it's very difficult to punch somebody if uh, I just broke your fingers, but you've got to get yourself mentally prepared to do that. The other thing, and I would recommend this, uh, whether you're averse to guns or a second amendment person, I would I would highly recommend that you get comfortable with a gun and learn how to use it. Dry fire often to make and go to the range and shoot and be prepared for what you need to do. Uh, it I can tell you after 25 years in law enforcement, when seconds count, when somebody's in your house or coming after you or your family, uh, the cops will be there in minutes. And the last thing I'll tell you is the mindset that I have. If you come into my house to do harm to my family, you die. There is no negotiation. There is no put your hands up. There's no put your hands behind your back. There's no me holding you for your, for the police to get there. If you're coming intent to do harm to my family, you die. So with that somber note, uh, I want to open up the phone lines. Now we've got Leah on the phone and Leah, what'd you want to talk about today on the Kim Wade show? Um, yes. Is this Chris? This is Chris. Hi, Chris. Um, I'd like to make a comment. Uh, I was listening to a while ago when you were talking to the gentleman about this is no longer a melting pot. It's becoming something else. And years ago, they used to have uh, Michael Savage on this radio station, and I listened to him a lot. And he would talk quite frequently about the immigration, the illegals, and things like that. And if the problem... I don't think it was so much of a problem. And he did make the comment, well, first of all, I'd like to say this too. 
with Michael Savage, he had a rather strange sense of humor, and um, he stuck on himself, but he's a very knowledgeable, very intelligent man, and what he said was so true to nature. And he started making the comment, he said, America is no longer a melting pot, it's a chamber pot. He said, these uh, countries are getting rid of all these derelicts and people that they don't want. They're glad for them to come on over here. And um, he said, he was talking about just different things in general with them. And it's odd that what he said years ago, everything he said, it's come true now. Yeah, you know, you talked about the melting pot, and when I talk to even, you know, my kids kind of understand it, uh, but I would bet that if I talk to some of the National Merit Scholars at Madison Central High School to try to get them to explain what the melting pot uh, analogy is, they wouldn't understand that it, it, it's an opportunity that you come in here, but it means that you assimilate to our culture, you assimilate to our republic. And some of them are even surprised, and I bet even some of the teachers uh, would look at me and and have to go fact-check me, but we shut down immigration for 40 years in the United States. We there were There was no just come into the United States from the 20s to the 60s, and it wasn't until Ted Kennedy uh, became a senator and was able to get that reconciled to start letting people in. But the reason we did that is we had such a mass... Uh, immigration coming into the United States prior to the 20s that we needed time for those people to assimilate. Leah, I I, I, I understand what you're saying. I agree with 99.99% of it. Uh, we got to take a break right now. We're going to come back and land this plane. This is Chris Hinkle in for Kim Wade on WYAB. It's Chris Hinkle, your Radio G-Man in for Radio Strongman Kim Wade on WYAB. Uh, we're landing this plane right now. wanted to talk real quick before we get off the air. got a couple minutes now uh, about what can we do to uh, handle the situations that we have right now. And I talk about accountability. And you've got to be able to hold your elected representatives accountable. If you want to uh, counter what the Biden administration is doing, You've got to be able to have the people that are supposed to be voicing your will and intent voicing your will and intent. And if they're voicing something dissimilar to what you espouse, you've got to be able to call them on it. I've done that a number of times. Uh, You've also got to celebrate when they do represent you as well. They are representatives, and you should be able to have a conversation with them. I've talked on here a number of times about, you know, me challenging Roger Wicker, challenging Michael Guest. Uh, I'd never get the chance to be in the same room as Benny Thompson. I'd love to challenge Benny Thompson. Uh, He's more than welcome to call in here. Heck, if he calls in and talks to Kim Wade and wants to debate me, I'm glad to come up here and sit in the seat and debate anything that Benny Thompson wants to talk about because I am well-grounded in the Constitution. And we'll see how that plays out. But uh, the accountability happens from you as citizens in bringing your representatives in to talk. Now, last night, my neighborhood association uh, out in Madison, we had the chance to meet with Mayor Mary. And there's some potential annexation. There's some battles that are going on with our Board of Supervisors. You have uh, three individuals out of the five supervisors there that definitely don't have the best interest of the city of Madison at heart. 
That would be Gerald Steen, Carl Banks, and Paul Griffin. I have no problem in calling them out to their name. They know me because I have sat in front of the microphone at the Madison County Board of Supervisors and called them out on things that they've done and asked them to answer questions, as is my First Amendment right to seek petition and seek redress of elected representatives. So we, we had a great meeting last night, our Homeowners Association, about oh, 100, more, 100 or more people from my neighborhood showed up, and we had a great conversation with our uh, with the mayor, with the police chief, who's a friend of mine, Derek Layton, with Robbie Sanders, a major from the Madison Police Department. Some of the aldermen were there and, and kind of getting getting some information out that we need. So I, I want to thank all of the individuals from my neighborhood over in Cherry Hill for coming in and meeting with us. So what can you do about it? Don't just hold your representatives accountable. Hold accountable the people that have access to those representatives. If you're on Facebook and you've seen me go toe to toe with some of the people in the me- <laughs> excuse me from the media, uh, from whether it's from television, radio, or print media, uh, I am the same in person as I am on this radio station as I am in social media. I I, I don't change, and I hold those people accountable. When you have access to our elected representatives and you don't ask them the challenging questions about what's going on. You're at fault for that. But thank you again to Kim for having me in. Thank producer Cliff for helping me out here on WYAB. Remember, it's almost time to get out of Jacktown, and I will see you next time on the radio. Hey, call Benny Thompson and tell him to debate me. Talk to you later.